You're listening to the Table Church Podcast. The Table is a community in Orville, California that aims to follow Jesus by doing what he did. Love God, love our neighbors, and serve those in need. Find us at thetablechurch.net, Instagram, or Facebook. And now for the message. Thank you, Father. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your glory over this place. Would your Holy Spirit meet us here in, in a way that is undeniable? that you would speak to us, that you would speak to us in ways that we can hear from you and receive what it is that you have for us. Thank you so much for this day. We give you praise and thanks, saying these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. We are in a sermon series called Jesus is Greater Than. We're going through the book of Colossians. So we're just kind of walking through eight weeks, four chapters What does God have to say to us through this letter written to this Colossian church? As always, if you have any questions or comments, feel free to send them. That number is going to be in the bottom of most screens. It's right there as well. It's in your bulletin as well. Try to make this as much of a dialogue as much as possible. What I keep telling us to help us better understand what this letter is doing is that that Colossians is a letter that is written for a certain occasion. We call it occasional. It doesn't mean that it happens every so often. It means that there's a reason why he sent it. Paul, who wrote half of our New Testament, which New Testament comes after Jesus' advent, right after Jesus shows up, Paul writes about 13 of these letters to churches, and he's writing them to mostly address problems that are going on in the church. And so he's not really writing to give us theological homework or to give us a theological lesson as much as he's trying to sometimes use theology to help us with our everyday problems. And and Colossians is a book that is written that exalts Jesus, that puts Jesus the highest of almost any other book in the New Testament. It just lifts Jesus up so high. And so Jesus kind of wants to use the exalted Christ to help us understand our everyday problems. And so that's why we're calling it Jesus is greater than. Because I think that's what Paul's doing as a big theme in Colossians. He's talking about Jesus is greater than the stuff we're going through. The main problem in Colossians is that there's some bad teachers that have shown up. And they're teaching this something that sounds true, but not quite true enough. That if you follow it all the way, it leads you away from Christ, not to Christ. We've gone over this. It's this idea that these teachers have some special information that you can only get from them. It's secret. It's for you. And also, you need to hurt your body because your body, according to this teaching, is in the way. And so you need to harm it. You need to minimize it. You need to ignore it. You need to get rid of it somehow. And so they have secret information they want to give you. They've got a strict diet for you. And if you follow their regime, their regiment, uh, you'll be blessed and protected and on your way to heaven. And Paul wants to come in and say, absolutely not. That is not at all what is going on in this world. So let me summarize their teaching a little bit more. And then this passage we're going to read today, Paul provides the answer to the questions that they're raising, right? They say that you need their secret information. You need them for their secret information about how to get to heaven. And it's only for you. It's about you and your journey to Jesus. And they got secret information to help you on your journey, right? From a special teacher. They want you to really, really focus on spiritual experience. Focus on heaven. Try to focus on everything spiritual and ignore everything that is physical and fleshly. And to do that, you got to suffer in your body somehow. Fasting or not sleeping or hurting yourself, self-harm. And if you do all that, you personally will grow into the way 
that they think you should be going. Paul shows up in this section writing this letter, and he says, the secret information, I'm just summarizing the whole thing for right now. I'm just, spoiler alert, this is what today is all about. The secret information, Jesus. Uh, is it only for you? It's for everyone. Uh, who's that special teacher? Paul's going to say, I'm a special teacher, but I'm trying to tell everyone about everything. Are you supposed to focus on heaven? No, heaven's come down to you because Christ is in you right now. You don't have to try to just ignore all the world around you. Jesus is in you right now to help you with what's going on. You got to suffer in your body. He's going to say, yeah, there's a little bit of suffering involved with Christianity, but you're not doing it to keep your mind on spiritual things. You're suffering in the body to help the world around you right now. We're going to get there. And it's not about your personal growth. The mission is that we all grow together as one body. So I just wanted to give you the summary of how Paul's going to answer. It looks similar. There's a lot of similar things going on between these two teachings. And if you weren't paying attention, you might fall into the trap of the other teaching. But Paul says, no, here's the real deal. And we struggle with this all the time. I struggle with this all the time. I always want a shortcut. I always want some secret information. I always want some manual that nobody else knows. I'm always looking for someone who's gone ahead and figured it out. I keep talking about this, but for me, it's parenting. When I see people who have kids that turned out to be good human beings, I'm like, what's the secret sauce? Because I don't know. I don't know, right? You try your best. You give them to Jesus. But I want more. I want more control than that. So I'm always looking for secret information on how to do it well. Also, for the last 500 years, Christianity has become very self-centered, individualistic about me and my journey to Jesus. And Paul wants to correct that today. He wants to talk about how we're doing this together. In fact, uh, in our tradition, we believe that there is no growth in Jesus without the human beings around you. You can't do it on your own. Jesus' greatest commandment is that you love God with your whole self and you love your neighbor as yourself. You cannot follow Jesus if you're not having neighbors to love. That's just part of the deal. So today, Paul wants to talk about how Jesus is greater than our small, self-centered worlds. That sometimes, when things get hard, we make our worlds real small, we hunker down, and we focus on ourselves and our families, and that's it. Everybody else can kick rocks. But Paul says, that's not what Jesus wants for you. Yeah, the bad news. We start with the bad news so we could better receive the good news, and the bad news is when times get tough, our worlds get small. And we hyper-focus on ourselves. I do this. I do this all the time. When I get stressed, I let everyone go to bed. And I stay up, and I eat junk food, and I watch screens, right? Just as a, it's just, I just self-indulge in a way that helps me feel like I'm going to be okay. Because cereal is like a blanket that goes on the inside. You know what I mean? I can't believe they chose, like, the fittest dude to represent this. I'm like, <laughs> that guy's coping the way that I cope. He does not look that good. <laughs> and it's just chips, too, huh? But this is me, right? This is, how I, I, this is how I get selfish. Forget tomorrow, James. Waking up early is tomorrow, James's problem. Tonight, James, is staying up as late as possible and watching junk TV and eating junk food. And that's how I, I just, I focus, I get self-centered, I get selfish, and my family gets affected by it. I'm obviously affected by it. The, my first meeting of the day that I'm usually late to is affected by it, right? 
selfish, self-absorbed, because when things get hard, our worlds get small. Paul wants to address this. Would you, if you have scripture, turn it with me. It'll be on the screen too if you don't want to. In our Bibles, it's eight, seven, seven ninety-nine. No, it's eight ninety-nine. Almost at the end of your Bible, the book of Colossians. We're still in chapter one, but we're heading into chapter two. It's on the bottom right-hand corner. Again, I always ask the questions, what does God want us to know, feel, do? So I'm looking for no language, which there's a lot here. Feeling language, experiential language, and then do language. Paul says this. Now I'm happy to be suffering for you. I'm completing what is missing from Christ's suffering with, his, with my own body. Very controversial statement. I'm doing this for the sake of Jesus' body, which is us, the church. I became a servant of the church by God's commission, which was given to me for you in order to complete God's word. God's word is incomplete somehow. Paul's trying to make it up. He's going to tell you right now, I'm completing it with a secret plan. You remember those teachers had secret information? Paul's saying, I got some secret information too, but here's what it is. It's not what they say, it's what I say. This secret plan has been hidden for ages and generations, but it has now been revealed to God's holy people. God wanted to make the glorious riches of this secret plan known among the Gentiles. That is Christ living in you, the hope of glory. That is what we preach as we warn and teach every person with all wisdom so that we might present each one mature in Christ. I work hard and struggle for this goal with Jesus' energy, which works powerfully in me, I want you to know how much I struggle for you and for this city uh, of Christians in this other city named Laodicea and for all who haven't known me personally. Hey, that's us. My goal is that their hearts would be encouraged and united together in love so that they might have all the riches of assurance that come with understanding so that they might have the knowledge of the secret plan of God, namely Jesus. All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in Jesus. I'm telling you this so that no one deceives you with convincing arguments, because even though I'm absent physically, I'm with you in spirit, and I'm happy to see the discipline and stability of your faith in Christ. The word of God for the people of God. As always, we preach head, heart, hands here. Three points that I'm going to pull from that passage, something that God wants us to know with our heads, experience with our hearts, and do with our hands so that we have a holistic faith that moves to us, through us, and out into the world. And so what does God want us to know with Paul's language of understanding and wisdom and knowledge? For me, it is this. As always, I hit this a lot. My apologies if you've heard me say this a million times. But the whole gospel is for the whole world. That's part of this mystery that God has finally revealed through Jesus Christ. That God has had in mind since the beginning of time, and now he wants to make it known in Jesus that everybody gets invited to the table, even and especially those we think shouldn't be included. Even the ones that you don't want invited get invited. For them, he's largely writing to a Jewish audience, and they think Gentiles are just the worst human beings on the planet. 
They eat gross foods. They smell because they're not very clean. They speak weird languages. They hang out with people that are not good characters. That community worships idols and not the true God. And so there's nothing grosser for a Jew than a Gentile person. They won't even let them in their house. They won't even let them eat at their table. And Paul says, guess what? The mystery from the beginning of time that is finally revealed in Jesus Christ is that they get to be invited to. If you don't understand Jew-Gentile dichotomy, the Jews believed that there were two groups of people and two groups only, Jews and everybody else. And everybody else was called Gentiles, and that's probably every one of us. And Paul says, we get to be included too. This is what he says. God wanted to make the glorious riches of the secret plan known among the Gentiles. Can I tell you, the book of Ephesians, which has a lot of overlap with Colossians, says the same similar stuff. Insight into the secret plan about Christ. Earlier generations didn't know this hidden plan that God has now revealed to his holy apostles and prophets through the Holy Spirit. This plan is that the Gentiles would be co-heirs and parts of the same body and that they would share with the Jews and the promises of God in Christ Jesus through the gospel. When I tell you that Paul is writing to address problems in churches, largely this is the problem almost every single time, that they can't figure out their racial division, that there is just a weird cultural division where each side thinks they're better than the other, and they're fighting about it at God's holy table, at communion, and Paul has to write and say, no more. What God has wanted you to know, the great mystery of God that has been hidden from all generations but now revealed in Jesus Christ is that everybody gets to come to the table. The bad teacher said their secret knowledge was only for certain individuals, privileged individuals, special people, probably Jews, right? That's part, that's part of the beating your body, the strict diet. You can't eat pigs. You got to rest on Saturdays. You got to do the Jewish law. And Paul's saying, no, it's for everyone. Paul says God's secret mystery was that everyone gets to be invited into God's body. That, that Christ is not the, the way to get to wisdom and understanding and knowledge. Christ is the wisdom and understanding and knowledge of God. It's not through him we get to it, it's in him. And there's nothing more on the other side of him that that we, that we want, that can be found. It's in him, and that's true for every human being on the planet. There's not special ways to get to heaven for special people. It's Jesus always for everyone, and everyone gets the same invitation. Everyone invited. What am I trying to say here? Everyone invited is you got you to emphasize the right words. Everyone invited is one of the main problems that Paul is addressing in all of his letters. Can I be a little controversial? Can we, are we mature? Can we grow here? The Pope, Pope Francis, got into some hot water two weeks ago because he said that people who are transgendered are children of God. And now we're like, okay, the air sucked out of the room. And that is controversial when you talk about the first word, which is transgendered folks. But there's nothing controversial about what he's doing when he says that human beings are children of God. Every human being you've ever met is made in the image of God and worthy of dignity and respect, no matter their sinfulness or condition. And so he gets in hot water for just pointing to human beings and he goes, you're a child of God. 
made in the image of God. He's not condoning anything. He's not baptizing anything. He's not marrying anybody. He's just looking at human beings in the eyes and saying, you're a child of God, made in God's image, worthy of dignity, respect, and love. This is what Paul is wanting to do, is to say even the people that you think don't deserve it deserve an invitation anyways, and they get to be a part of the thing, and I don't know who it is for you. I'm sure there are people in your life, people groups, that are hard for you to want to include. In our society right now, it feels like there's a huge political division and people on the other side of the aisle are dumb or demonic and they don't deserve an invitation, but they do. They're also children of God. Sometimes it's race, sometimes it's class, poverty, sometimes it's sex, sometimes it's whatever that thing is. Paul says, none of those demographics matter. Everybody gets invited to the table. Because everyone is made in the image of God and deserving of respect, love, and dignity. God's secret mystery was for everyone to be invited into God's body. And it's been revealed to the whole world through Jesus Christ. That's what he wants us to know. That's what you get to know. Thank you for knowing it with me. What does God want us to experience then, right? As always... You're welcome to come as you are, but Jesus has got big plans for you, and you don't get to stay as you are. So what does God want you to feel or experience for all of us? There's no way to have the gospel and not grow. There's no way that the gospel can get inside of you and not do work to help you grow. There's no way that you can have Christ in you and not become mature. See what he says? I'm trying to make the secret plan known, and part of the secret plan is that Everyone gets invited, but the other part of the secret plan is that Christ now lives in you. Contrary to those bad teachers, you don't have to forget about your body and your surroundings and your neighbors and your communities and just try to focus on the spiritual realities. Jesus, in all of his spiritual reality, now lives in you. He came here. Heaven came down. This is what we preach. This is what we warn and teach every person with wisdom, wisdom. We do this. Why do we teach this thing that everyone gets invited? Why do we teach this thing that Christ lives in everybody? Because our hope is that we present everyone mature in Christ. If Christ lives in you, God loves you right now, right where you are. There's nothing you could do to make God love you more or less right now, right where you are, no matter how sinful you are. But the moment you... Put your hope and faith in that. And Jesus lives in you. He gets to work because he wants to present you mature, complete, healthy, and whole. The secret plan of God is Christ. Right? Christ in you, you in Christ. That's the secret sauce. That's the magic to this whole deal. Everything else can fall by the wayside. All of your problems are going to be figured out right here and there. He goes on to say, we do this with all wisdom so that we, yeah, we might present each one in Christ. I wanted to show you something interesting in Greek. We've got to put on our thinking caps a little bit. I'm a giant nerd. I forgot my slide. I, for, I forgot. But look what he, he says the same phrase three times. Panta anthropon. We know the word anthropon because you might have heard the word anthropology. It just means human, humanity. So he says, this is what we preach as we warn every human, panta anthropon, and teach every person, panta anthropon, with all wisdom so that we might present each one, panta anthropon, mature in Christ. Three times, 
everybody's included, everybody gets healthy and whole. That's the goal. I hope you are on board with that because that's what Jesus is doing. Every human hears the good news. Every human gets an opportunity to grow healthy and whole in Jesus Christ, in Christ. Yeah? Everyone. Everyone gets healthy and whole. All people are invited to have an experience of Jesus, Christ in you, you in Christ. Come as you are, but Jesus won't leave you as you are. He's got big plans for you. Dang it, I said it, I had a slide. But you won't stay as you are. This was a dear pastor friend of mine. His name was Paul Koval. He uh, called himself a wild goat of a man. He took the front yard of his church and he turned it into a BMX track, bicycles for kids. That's the tractor. <laughs> He's just like, what do we got all this grass for? Let's, let's let kids break their legs on church property. I'm like, okay. <laughs> his conversion story was that he was living on the streets doing drugs. And he felt like his life wasn't going in the right way. And he thought back to when he was a kid, when things were going well. And he remembered going to church with his grandmother. And he said, man, that was good times. I should go back to church. It was Christmas time. He decided he was going to go to a Christmas Eve service. He said, I, got, I smoked some crack. And I walked into the church. And I sat in the back row. And I said, just felt the Holy Spirit. He's like, I think it was the Holy Spirit. But I just <laughs> kept me coming back. And he said it was a, he says, what made me stay, though, was that it was a group of people that never came to me and said, here's a list of your sins that we think you need to take care of before you get to belong to our community. He says, they trusted that as I got in touch with the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit would convict, challenge, and change me so that I could become more like Jesus. That's what, because the problems they thought that I probably needed to fix might not be the same problems that the Holy Spirit thinks that I need to fix first before I can get healthy and whole. And so the thing that stuck around, made me stick around to the point that he became minister of the gospel, is that this community of people trusted him to the Holy Spirit's care. And that's, I think, what Paul is encouraging us to do. Everyone gets invited, but we trust that as Christ lives in them, they will become mature, healthy, whole, conformed to the image of Jesus. Everyone invited. You will grow when Christ is in you and you are in Christ. What does God want us to do then? What does Christ want us to do in the midst of all this? Paul wants to remind us, partly to combat what those teachers are saying about how we need to focus on the spiritual things and forget about the fleshly human things. He says that Christ-centered maturity grows into community-centered ministry. That as Christ is in you and as the Holy Spirit grows you, that needs to get worked out in you serving the human beings around you. Christ-centered maturity doesn't mean that we're going to find you in a closet all day just praying 23 hours a day. You should pray in a closet. Find a secret place. But that's not the entirety of what maturity looks like. For Paul, maturity looks like you serving your people, the actual flesh and blood human beings around you. He says... I'm doing this for the sake of Jesus' body, which is his church, so that we might present everyone here complete, mature, whole. The word is teleos. It means reached its goal. Sometimes translated perfect, but I won't scare you yet. We work hard in Jesus' body to make sure everybody continues to grow. I work hard, Paul says, and struggle for this goal 
with his energy, which works in me powerfully. Too many people are sitting around trying to soak up super spiritual situations. Just hoard them. Just have them and hoard them, and they just want to sit around until God makes them feel something holy or joyful or loving. And that, Paul is saying, is not the way of Jesus who served and loved us with his whole body, mind, soul, strength. To grow in Jesus, we have to know Jesus first. But once we know Jesus and start growing in Jesus, we got to go with Jesus. Know, grow, go with Jesus if we want to keep growing. This is why I talk about head, heart, hands. This is why I talk about no, feel, do, or no, grow, go, or up, in, out. You start with your relationship with Christ. It has to start there. It has to. And when that happens, Jesus, Paul says, lives in us, and we begin to grow and mature. But part of that growth and maturity means that now we have to go out. It's through us because we can get stuck of just wanting Jesus to keep growing us and keep growing us. And Paul's saying, if you get stuck there, you're never going to keep growing. You're just going to get stuck. Uh, pastors use this illustration all the time. Forgive me if you've heard it a million times, but I can't think of a better example. The Dead Sea. The Dead Sea, if you don't know, lies on the Jordan of Israel, uh, the Jordan, the border of Jordan and Israel. I'm talking fast. If you don't know about the Dead Sea, it's beautiful, but no life lives there. There's no fish, there's no birds, there's no plants, because it is insanely salty, 10 times saltier than the Pacific Ocean. Nothing lives there except microorganisms, germs, sometimes some algae. So salty that you can float easily because there's just so much salt. You just, you can't help but float. You literally can't help but float. The reason that nothing lives there, the reason why it's called dead, in every language, by the way, Arabic, Greek, Hebrew, uh, Latin, they called it dead in every single one of those languages because no life lives. The reason why no life lives there is because there's no outlet. Water comes in. This is the Jordan River, comes from the Sea of Galilee. There's some, some other rivers that come in this way. But there's no outlet to the Mediterranean Sea. And so what happens is those rivers bring, you know, minerals and salt from the rocks into the lake and there's nowhere for it to go, and so it just evaporates, and it leaves all the minerals and salt, and this lake sea just becomes saltier and saltier to the point that nothing can live there because there's no outlet. It gets fresh water. It gets life sent to it, but it never sends out of itself, and so it just kills everything it touches. I wasn't going to bring this up, but I got a pool in my house. We bought a house that has a pool. Am I bragging? A little bit. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> The 20-year-old pump broke three weeks ago, and immediately my pool turned green. Just a swamp, literal frogs, every kind of... And I had to buy a new pump, and I called the guy. I was like, can you put a pump in? He was like, a million dollars. And I was like, I'll figure it out myself. <laughs> and, <laughs> and because the water wouldn't leave. Didn't matter how much chlorine I put in it. Didn't matter how much fresh water I kept adding to it. It was just going to be green until I could get water to leaf, until I could give it an outlet to get circulating through some, you know, what are those things called? Filters. 
Same with our Dead Sea. Listen. And the same is for, true for us, Paul wants us to know. That sitting around, hoarding spiritual experiences is a recipe for death. You need those spiritual experiences. They are vital because you need that fresh water to come into you. You need that fresh spirit to come into you. You need Jesus living in you. You need Jesus pouring into you. But Jesus has an expectation that we share it so that we become a place of life, a place that God moves to and through and out into the world. Jesus has a mission for us. And it's Paul's mission, which is to make Jesus known and to help people grow. This is what God is doing. This is what God is inviting us to do with him. This is what Paul says that he does. Just to wrap up a little fine point, because I never want you to think I'm asking you to go out and try harder. Paul's very clear. By whose power? He says, I work hard and struggle for this goal with Jesus' energy, which works powerfully in me. If we really have an experience of Jesus living in us, then we do it by his might and power and not on our own. Otherwise, we will get resentful and burnt out and bitter. But Jesus has a mission for you, a purpose for you, and he wants to give you the supply of energy and power to do it. If Christ is in you, his power is in you to do it. Our responsibility is just to figure out where God wants us and show up, and he'll help us figure it out. I promise. Questions, comments, criticisms, concerns? Mm-hmm. I don't see any. So here's my summary. It is this. Jesus is greater than our selfish spirituality, than our than all of our smallness and the ways in which we turn in on ourselves when things get hard. We will be tempted to center ourselves and to hoard spiritual experiences and to let someone serve us and to try to give us answers in life because it's easier, but it's not Jesus' way. Jesus is about everyone being invited, everyone growing mature, and all of us having a purpose of taking that experience of Christ and letting it flow out of us so that others may experience the things that we're experiencing too. And that is the recipe from Paul for a successful life in Christ. Next week, we're talking about how Jesus is greater than our religion. I hope you come back to hear that. But with that, let's head into partaking of Jesus's table. Would you pray with me? Thank you, Father. Thank you for this scripture, for your word to us that encourages us, that emboldens us, that reminds us that you dwell mightily in us, powerfully in us. Help us to continue to experience that everything hinges on our ability to experience you. Many of us have this information that you live in us, and that you invite everyone to your table. Help us to experience that goodness of you actually living in us. And when we do experience that, when we do feel that, it's going to change our life. It's going to change our lives of people around us. So we pray that even now as we come to this table, that your Holy Spirit would be working in us so that we can commune with you, that we would feel close to you. We pray that your Spirit is on these elements that as we 
eat the bread and drink from the cup, that it would become your body and your blood in a way that reminds us of your victory over death and sin so that we can continue walking in the newness of life that you have for us. Father, some of us are coming from a place that doesn't feel like we have been walking close to you, that we have things to confess, disobedience and brokenness and sin to offer to you. Father, help us feel like that that is not a hindrance to our invitation here, but that we could bring those things here even now and give them to you and experience your forgiveness, your closeness, your proximity, your power. We believe this is a means of grace, a place where we do experience your presence and power. Help us to do so in a way that heals us and helps us to grow into that maturity that you so desire for us. And we will come with grateful and expectant hearts for just such a thing. Table Church, will you help me say the Lord's Prayer? Saying, Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.